This is David Allen Boucher, and welcome to Nighttime Magic here on 106.7. Just kidding. Welcome. We have episode 10? Episode 10? 2, 5, and 10? That, that maybe it was the numbers back to back that messed me up a little bit. But uh, episode 10, 2, 5, and 10. Ben Stu, what up, baby? The Brad May episode. The May Day. May Day! May Day! I still can't believe Generic's still calling games up there. That's wild. I hate it. Again, the whole Chris Jury, Maxime Infant again off game with him making that call still pisses me off. But that whole intro, I was going to introduce myself as Delilah. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, too, when you think about, like, the hockey world in the sense of, I don't know if he's still up there or not, but remember when Generic's kid was the AHL guy for Portland? So he was doing all their radio calls. So I don't know if it was going to be like a father-son thing of when... uh, Parent? Yeah, when he finally retires, if he was going to take over or not. But speaking of keeping it in the family, William Nylander signed. I I thought he just wasn't going to sign at all, but did sign for 6.9 for six years, the average annual value. Thoughts, Benny? I mean, did you think it was going to happen? You think he was going to get dealt? Thoughts on the deal? I thought he was going to get dealt because for him to hold out until a deadline, to me, insinuated that he was holding out for more money or a longer-term deal than Toronto was willing to give this entire time. So there's also reports that Toronto started circling back to some interested teams in the last few days, saying basically make your best offer uh, for Nylander and we'll determine if you want to move him or not. Then... Five minutes before the deadline to sign occurred, uh, we started getting tweets from Darren Drager and McKenzie about Nylander has signed with Toronto, and then the terms came out. Like you said, six years, $6.9 million a year. I think that was basically the offer Toronto has been offering this entire time. And he was holding out for more money because he didn't want to be third fiddle essentially to Marner and Matthews when they're going to be making 10 to 12 million. So he was probably shooting for at least seven and a half or something like that or eight. So for it to conclude with 6.9 times six just frustrates the hell out of me because you could have had that deal probably in training camp and been playing this entire time. And now you just look either selfish to the fan base, stupid to the fan base, but now he's going to have to put up, Mitch Marner type numbers to justify all the headache that he caused. I'm with you on the other end. Like it, he looks like an asshole. It, you held out for this long. You figured it would be for like big time dough, or it would just be the bridge deal where you say I'm going to earn the money over the next two years and then you're going to pay me. Like you, you sat out. Like we were talking about it before we came on. Like the difference between him and the Pasternak deal is three hundred thousand, which Pasternak yeah. should be making three hundred more than him. But even on the other end of it, it's like over the course of its deal, what do we say? It was 1.5 the course of it. Like, get a good yeah, money 1. guy. 8. Yeah, get get a money guy who, who can make you back one point something million. Like, to me, that's a joke. Um, on the other end, obviously, Toronto looks very good now having this kid back in the lineup. Um, as for the rust factor, I don't know how often he's been skating or playing. I do think it's going to take him probably a week or two to get back to NHL speed. Firing man is- but uh, outside of that, I am uh, not too sure. So 
we'll see what happens. The thing is, Toronto, like you said, comes out looking great with this, but their front office basically made Nylander blink, and now they can use that to their advantage in negotiations with guys like Matthews and Monner, where they have the credibility to sit down in a meeting and say, this is our offer, we're not moving off of it. Oh, yeah, I mean, Dubas looks like he can actually negotiate. Like, he held out hardcore with this kid. Eight balls. Yeah, so I, I don't think they're missing Lulair Morello currently. Uh, the other thing, too, is, like you said, for a first-year GM, 33, I believe, he, he's just older than we are. Yeah, dude, he yep. has a huge set on him. And, and good for him, <laughs> too, to play hardball like that. Like, hey, this is what we're giving you. Take it or leave it. And I don't think he really budged much on his end, which, like you said, going through future negotiations between Marner and Matthews, it's going to get real. But at the same time, they also do deserve more money than him. So I don't think on that end it's going to be too bad. But trying to get this whole team under the salary cap in the end is going to take some serious wiggling. Dave, they're probably hoping that Marlowe retires after this year, to be honest. Get that six and a half off the books. Yeah, because he's this year and next year at six and a half. So, Yeah. Ugh. The problem is they're going to have all that money invested up front, and, which is good. It's a good problem to have, essentially. But they have, to supplement that, they need cheap, young, top-performing defensemen. And Gardner's a free agent after this year. Um, I know Dermot has been solid, but he's not like a top pairing guy. Uh, so they're going to have to hope for some hits with uh, their recent draft picks on the back end to supplement all the money they're spending up front. Yeah, I mean, to, just looking at it currently without even getting to the other guys, Tavares $11 million next year, Nylander 6.9. Marlowe six point two five, Kadri four point five, Hyman at two and a half, and then Connor Brown for two point one, and then everybody else on the forward part of it are either restricted or unrestricted. Oh, so yeah, it's gonna. They have to know what they're doing because they wouldn't have signed into that deal, and then like after they signed, it went oh shit, we can't afford anybody. <laughs> but it's gonna be interesting to see how they construct that team. Uh, this coming off season around all the cap issues that they're probably going to have. Well, currently another thing they got here too. So for 2019, 2020 season, like I said, with all those guys currently on the number for offense, not including the restricted and unrestricted is 33 million. And then on the back end, it's currently 10 million. So, so they do have, wiggle room if the cap's going to be like 79 they do have some room to get guys there is anderson signed long term in goal anderson is through 2020 2021 at five mil each year so next year is his last year in a deal the year after okay so they have some certainty and cost certainty in that at least they got that uh they have sparks who's restricted at the end of this year and i mean he's coming off an entry level 675 a year so uh, i mean got a little high though right yeah got a little (laughs) fucking a it it Um, scares me as a bruins guy it scares me knowing that they finally have these guys 
together. That that's the scary part. The thing is, they've been equated to the Blackhawks, but the Blackhawks had Kane and Taze up front making big bucks. They had Seabrook and Keith on the back end, and then Crawford and Goal. It was kind of like more spread out in terms of the big cap hits. With Toronto, it's like five major cap hits up front, maybe one on the back end, and like a solid contracting goal. So the Blackhawks were able to pull it off because they kind of spread the wealth a little bit, and Kane and Taze kind of took a hometown discount in their initial kind of like bridge deal so oh yeah and the other thing too they got a steal for morgan riley he's making five million a year for the next five years so uh, i think that's a very good value as they would say that's what the rangers tried to do with brady shea and that looks like absolute shit right now but that's another topic (laughs) well we went from good value let's talk about bad value um after signing that huge deal this summer tom wilson back in the news again uh kicked out of the game match penalty hit to the head the league came down and said they are not going to suspend him they thought that they hit through the shoulder of brett Sini on the devils i saw it i mean even if he comes through the back of him there the only thing for me is it's not like he was looking one way puck came the other they kind of collided he was three seconds too late and he blasts through the back of this guy who's completely back turned to him like the intense there. It, yeah. it, he easily could avoid that, but he decides he's going to go through with it. So to me, with th- their quote-unquote, you know, their repeat offender law, just off that, I think they have to give him something. It, it doesn't have to be as big as that the first one that he got, but come on, man. Like, he's been back. Since he's been back nine games, Capitals currently 8-1. and one. Wilson has seven goals and six assists in nine games. The kid's playing hockey. He's playing hockey. Yeah. He's getting shit done. And then he's going to go back to that. I I don't know, dude. I, I thought that the last suspension was going to be a wake-up, but clearly it hasn't done anything. At this point for me, it's there's three different levels for me. The first one is Tom Wilson. That's not a fucking hockey play. There's a difference between if they were going into the corner after a puck or at the last second, Sini like turned completely away from him when Wilson was already in the uh, motion of making like a shoulder to shoulder hit. And then it just like unfortunate circumstances and Sini gets blasted into the porch or something. The, like you said, the puck was gone. Sini is skating back to the point where he should be. Wilson makes no attempt to avoid him. He even leans in with his shoulder to make sure he does hit him. It's not, the puck's not there. The back is turned. There's no hockey play. So for him, he either has to be fucking retarded or he knows that he's being a, like, a piece of shit with that hit. So like you said, you would think all of the previous suspensions and all of the hand ring and all the questions that he's gotten previously would be a wake-up call, but it's not. And that brings me to the second point of the Capitals. They're enabling the shit. For a while, the Bruins enabled Marchand until like guys like Bergy and Chara in the front office sat him down like, yo, cut this shit, you're putting us... Like in trouble here. Yeah, stop kissing and he people. Ha- yeah, and he still has his issues here and there, but he's toned it down tremendously, I think, from where he was like three seasons ago. The Capitals have this it's us against the world mentality. Tom Wilson isn't a dirty player. He just plays the game hard. He's just bigger than a lot of guys. Uh, they're trying to protect one of their own. And he has this mentality of, well, shit, if my team has my back, I'm just going to keep playing the way I do. And what's going to happen is he's going to do something to a star player 
or an important guy on another team, and then Ovechkin's going to get fucking run, and he's going to get hurt, or Backstrom's going to get run and get hurt, or Kuznets off, and then that's when Washington is going to throw the hands up in the air and go, that was a dirty hit, it's unacceptable, and they're going to look like hypocrites and they're not going to have a leg to stand on. They're enabling this behavior of Wilson. The last part is NHL. They didn't suspend him because he used his shoulder. And Cini, from what I can tell, wasn't like seriously hurt. How can I justify that as a hockey hit is my question to you. Like, the, I already went through like the whole motion of it. How can the player safety department look at that and go, oh, that was a clean hit? I don't know, but because Cini comes out after the game and he said it, he hit me more in the shoulder. He didn't hit me in the head. So maybe that's just him being policeman on the ice in the sense of, I don't want a guy being suspended for hitting, like he hit me, yeah, but it wasn't dirty in the sense of he got me square in the head. But he said, I haven't seen the replay yet. I don't know if there was intent behind it. Yeah. yeah. Th- th- there was complete intent behind it. Like There was uh, no reason for the hit. It's not that it was just his shoulder. It was, there was no reason for it. Yeah, and to me, that's the craziest part. And like you said, with the NHL that's trying to be a new NHL and moving towards a safer place and things like that, like I just don't get how you allow it to happen. Like, like I said, it wasn't like incidental where he's looking one way, the other guy's looking the other way, they're running to each other, and, you know, shit happens. It's a fast game. You're three seconds late, and you run straight through him. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Do you think part of this is there's no goons anymore? Uh, outside of, like, Willie and Ryan Reeves, I mean, uh, who, who's going to answer the bell on Jersey to fucking Tom Wilson? I mean, so I have mixed opinions on that. I know as a teammate, you probably feel more secure and, like, in that sense of the word, when you're on the ice, knowing that there's like a Cody McLeod or a Ryan Reeves that has your back, I still don't think it would stop somebody like Tom Wilson from thinking more clearly, going, I'm not going to run through this guy because I'm going to have to fight because Wilson thinks he can fight anybody. Yeah, he's just a shitbag yeah. anyway. So, yeah. The, my other point is, I hate this enabling of him in a sense of he just plays the game hard, which is fine if you play the game hard. He's bigger than a lot of other guys, which is fine. A lot of guys are bigger. But my question would be, how many times has Sedano Chara been suspended for running at somebody or purposely trying to injure? How many times has Dustin Bufflin, Ryan Reeves? Yeah. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah. Wilson gets suspended twice a year, every year, or fined or kicked out of games. There's a way to play the game hard, as me and you would know, without – like that puts guys – like living like their potential to earn money for the family in jeopardy when you're just such a piece of shit like that. And one of these days, it always happens. One of these days you look at guys like Matt cook who ran around purposely trying to injure a, a lot of different guys did injure a bunch of different guys. And then he finally got his comeuppance when Evander Kane knocked him the fuck out in Atlanta. And then he was a good little boy after that. So one of these days that's going to happen to Wilson. And I swear to God, I hope he tries to make a run at, like, I don't know, David Perron when they're playing Vegas. And Ryan Reeves puts him in the fucking ground. Because I'm, I think Wilson is a young, cocky guy. I think he has the aura of invincibility about him, and he needs to get that kind of knocked down a little bit. Well, from one piece of shit to a piece of shit organization, I guess we can talk about the Philadelphia Flyers firing Ron Hextall. 
I almost got it right. Last week I said uh, their coach, Hextall, would be fired. And then the GM, Hextall, got fired. So right city, wrong office. But what are your thoughts? Do you think Hextall deserved to be fired? Um, are you surprised that they fired the assistant GM and an assistant coach but kept the head coach? Yeah, um, I'm with you. Uh, something was bound to happen this week. It, it's just kind of been a spin cycle of going the wrong way. Um, as for whether it was going to be Hextall or Hackstall, um, I figured one of them was going to be gone, probably more Hackstall, like you had predicted. Um, when Hextall was fired, I mean, on paper, th- this team seems okay. I mean, th- they have players and guys in the right spots. Um, I think it goes back to kind of record in the sense, I guess four years Hextall's been there. They've only been in the playoffs too. Uh, another big thing. I mean, the goaltending there has been an absolute fucking nightmare. And I, I don't think you can blame a coach when you've gone through five goalies already and none of them can stop the puck. I, I don't think that goes towards the coach. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, like you said too, the the assistant GM and then one of the assistants gets fired too, and then Paul Holmgren comes in and says, "Hackstall's job is in the hands of the next GM." So even if the next GM comes in and doesn't fire him this season, once the season's done, he's gone. He's bringing in his own guy. He wants his own guy now. Yeah, so I mean, he's on borrowed time. I think he. I think he knows that. Um, now a question for you, I have off of it. I know, I want to hear your part of it as well, but. Hackstall left a phenomenal job at North Dakota to go here. Like, legit, you want to talk about having everything, having big boy money. Like, they they pay him very well there. All the inclusives, the golf course, all the whole nine. To now go here and get fired, I mean, do you think this will make college coaches who are thinking about making the jump or if their phone rings kind of think twice? Like, you know, you're kind of comfortable where you are. You might want to stay there. Um, that was almost the case with David Quinn and the Rangers. They had to basically not convince him to come, but they had to kind of sweeten the pot because he was in such a good situation in Boston. And he was like, why would I? He's like, the Rangers are a great organization. It would be a great opportunity, but like, I love where I am. And the Rangers basically had to show him their long-term plan, convince him that he was the right man for it, give him a few perks. So... I guess it would depend. Like, if you're in a, at a college and you've been there for a while and you're so successful, like, I don't know if anybody would ever attain this, but, like, let's say the Nick Saban of college hockey. Jerry York. That, yeah. I would think that would be almost impossible to leave because you have a little less pressure, but you have more control than you're ever going to have as an NHL head coach in terms of within an organization. For other guys like Montgomery, even Quinn to an extent, I never thought that their coaching career, their goal was to stay. Like once I make it to a college head coach, I'm I made it. I'm successful. Like I think they always would have an eye on an NHL job. I think it just depends on the organization. Like I wouldn't want to coach in a market like Philly if I'm a first time head coach coming out of college. Or Boston or Toronto. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously, when you're going into a place where winning's expected and th- they don't really, quote-unquote, accept rebuilds by any means, it's kind of like, 
you have to give us our certain brand of hockey and that'll be it. Um, yeah, that's something Paul Holmgren hit on. He's like, uh, we're not playing the way that the Flyers play, which I think was a dig at Hexall not having a bunch of like goons running around on the fourth line like Todd Fedorik and Donald Bashir like they used to back in the day. Yeah, but I mean, they still have bigger guys in that. Like Wayne Simmons just got Philadelphia's first fight yesterday. Their first fight yeah. of the season. So, yeah. so I don't know if that comes down to Hextall or if that comes down to the coach. Like I remember, oh fuck, I, I forget what his name was. The first, well, the only year he was in Boston, he, he told Chara, "You can't fight. I need you out on the ice." It's like we brought this oh, guy in here to fight. What was that? Was it Lewis? Yeah, Lewis. That's who it was. And it's like, there's just certain things. Like, there's certain situations I get where you don't want guys dropping the gloves or getting taken off the ice by some bum. But at the same point, like you have to make a message sent at certain times, and whether you're a captain or just a role player, you know what your job is. So I don't think you can hold the leash on certain players like that. I yeah, my tangent on that is AV was like that with the Rangers. He was always worried about taking the the third man in penalty or like the extra penalty in a scrum, and it led to situations where the Rangers were playing in Philadelphia and Dan Carcillo. Or no, Zach Ronaldo. Basically, during an after whistle scrum, jumped Gabrick and started like throwing haymakers. And Dan Girardi was standing right there and did nothing to help out Gabrick because he was worried about getting, uh, having AV on his ass for taking the third man in. And in that situation, you have to just get like that type of coaching where you like make somebody hesitate is not good coaching like Girardi should have been in there just like Chara there are going to be situations where he just has to get involved and not have to worry about oh well my coach doesn't want me to but when it comes to the Rangers and Flyers just played and it was almost the first time they had no penalty called in an entire game since like 1977 or something like that so that just shows you the difference in the rivalry now um my question to you is who do you think is going to replace Hextall I know Holmgren came out and said that he doesn't want somebody with ties to the Flyers organization, which kind of rules out Sean Burke and Pronger. Uh, but do you have uh, like a forerunner right now for the position? No, you know what? I was thinking about it, and I honestly have no idea where he's going to go with this. Because usually when someone's gassed, they have a replacement just ready. Just, guys, you're out, he's in, we're making the change. So for him to actually try to have a, I don't want to say a GM by committee because there's not going to be numerous people here, but to actually kind of take his time with this in the middle of the year and see where it's going, I, I think it, it's now going to be a long-term change. Like he wants someone in here who's in it through through the thick of it because he's coming into this fucking shit show now. Um, fuck, I had a question for you. I dropped the ball. It, it, while you're thinking of that, I'll just say Hextall, I hope, is going to get all the props he deserves in Philadelphia for turning that organization around when he started. They were in cap hell. They had no prospects. They finished dead last in the league. And in his time there, he got out of the Mike Richards and Jeff Carter contracts. He brought in guys like Voracek. Uh, <clears throat> he basically revitalized Drew's career by having him switch to the wing. Uh, you look at their prospect pipeline, it's top three or five in the league. The only big miss that he has is, like you said, in goal, he traded Bobrovsky. Like, 
out of all the things he could have done, he traded the one guy that ended up being the franchise goal that the Flyers have needed since Hextall retired, essentially. Yeah, and the other thing was they said, well, rumors, I don't want to say they said, but the rumor is that Holmgren finally gassed Hextall when there was a deal on the table for Nylander, and he didn't pull the trigger on it. Ooh. Whether it's true or whether it's not, I mean, I don't know what was going back to Toronto or what it might have been, but that that was allegedly the last draw, and then Holmgren gassed him. Mm. It probably had at least be Pomeroff, right? Maybe even I'd, gassed it. I'd say, I'd say probably one or the other. Uh, Probably a pick, if not two. Like a forward up front? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's... See, that's the other thing, though. He gets gassed for not making that deal. But deep down, if you were the GM of the Flyers, knowing the city that you play in, the fan base you have, and even Holmgren as the president who promised Clark that and Ed Snyder that he would continue the quote-unquote Flyers way after they were gone, do you think William Nylander is the face of your franchise? No. I mean, if you're going to Broad Street Bully Days, no. But the only thing is this. Patrick's taking a little while to season. Um, mm. Giroux's having a decent year. I, I think if you throw him up there, your your offense is a little bit more high-powered, so maybe you're a little bit prettier to look at. <laughs> but at the same time, if, like you said, if Provorov or if it was Gostaspear was one of those guys that needed to go back the other way, I mean, it, I guess you got to kind of rate him in the sense of, you you got to be good coming out of the DN, too. You can't just be heavy up front. It doesn't really work all the time. So maybe he was looking at that. They're both young. You can keep them long-term here. So maybe he was thinking about the future in another sense, and maybe it bit him in the ass a little bit. Yeah, the thing is, coaches get fired midseason a lot, but you don't really see GMs get fired midseason because that kind of hamstrings you when it comes to the trade deadline and preparing for the draft that summer. If Hextall was one quote-unquote bad decision away from getting fired. They should have fired him in the offseason and brought somebody in for they can have that infrastructure in place already instead of doing it in December. Yeah, like the, the, the turnaround now, like like you said, the trading deadline, <coughs> everything else is kind of crazy because you have to bring someone in who knows your team, knows your prospects and things like that because if he's coming in and he's trying to turn something around, he's obviously got to know something or know people in the scouting staff that he can trust too because i mean say if you have your head scout that's already in place but from your rumors in the hockey mill you don't like him and so it's kind of like i'm not gonna fucking listen to this guy like i think this guy's a solid prospect this guy tell me he sucks like so yeah because now it's a whole organization overhaul because the new guy he needs to bring in all of his people trust factor he might have his own opinion already on players like this is ugly, especially for December. Like, it's one thing to do it over a whole summer. December, not the right time. And that might impact veterans like Wayne Simmons and Drew at some point because this new guy might want to bring in his own guys or might not like the cap hit that they have and might want to move them. So firing a GM has far more, much more far-reaching implications, I think, than firing a head coach when it comes to the NHL. I'm with you 100% because one thing, at least with coaches, they might have different ways of getting their point across. 
But at the end of the day, hockey's hockey. There, there might be like a little bit of a tweak to a system here and there, but hockey's hockey. Yeah, it's about the talent level in the NHL. Well, we're going from a guy who couldn't pull the trigger, let's go to two GMs that could. Uh, Stan Bowman and Chica come together. Uh, Arizona Coyotes get Nick Schmaltz, and the Chicago Blackhawks receive Dylan Strom, not Ryan, and Brandon Perlini. What do you think about that one? Uh, before I get into that, I'm going to make a prediction and say Chuck Fletcher is going to be the GM in Philly. But uh, moving on to that actual deal, Smoltz has had this reputation even since his junior days of like being a lazy, selfish player, and it's kind of followed him into the NHL. He's talented, obviously, by the goal and point total that he put up last year with Chicago. Essentially, for me, Chicago basically turned one young, promising top six forward or top nine forward into two lottery tickets because Strom was the third overall pick, obviously talented. His major knock is his, <clears throat> his uh, skating, uh, his speed in today's NHL. So I think they're trying to bank that a change of scenery for him will help him out working behind Taves instead of having the pressure of being the number one center for the organization that drafted you. Perlini's a nice little third line, big bodied winger that you can throw probably on a uh, power play, put him in front. So I like that move on that end. And Arizona gets a guy who's more NHL ready and has produced, but has some baggage with him. So I think it works for both teams, especially since Chicago's rebuilding and they have cap issues. So they get two young, cheap guys for one. I'm just curious if you think Strom will have the ability to take on a 2C role or if he's going to fall into like a third-line guy because that kind of lessens the return for Chicago then. The the big thing here for me is Strom, like you've been talking about. Uh, like you said, the biggest knock on him has always been his skating and his speed, and they never knew if that was going to adjust to the NHL level. Um, went number three overall in 2015. Your boy, Don Maloney, with another great pick. Um, the biggest thing here for me is Strom now gets to go to Chicago and play with DeBrinket, who, mm-hmm. when they were putting up all those numbers, they were playing with fucking McDavid, the three of them. So yeah. the other thing for me is this. Was it just lightning in a bottle when Strom was playing with McDavid? Obviously, you're going to make a shit ton of points. So now it's kind of a prove-it part. I saw them... I believe it was Wednesday night. I, I was watching a game. I didn't see the whole game, but I did see a little portion of it. It was DeBrinket, Kane, and Strom out on the ice, and they had it in whoever they were playing Ozone for about a minute and a half. Fucking sauce yeah. and sauce back and forth <clears throat> underneath. First guys on the, like, they looked really good together. I mean, I hope the kid can, you know, turn it around. But at the same time, like I said, was it just that one year where he played with Connor, he gets his points up, and now this is what you get. Yeah, I mean, I hope he turns it around too. I just think the only knock on him is the skating. He has the hands, he has this size, he has the uh, puck possession ability to be a top six guy. I think it was just trying to find that fit. I just really like the move for Chicago. I know I've crapped on Stan Bowman plenty in this podcast. But to be able to turn a guy who, at some point, you're going to have to give his 
second contract to, and if he has the baggage where you're, you've had him in your building and you may be questioning his, uh, maybe not loyalty, but his dedication to improving his game. So like maybe what he's already done is as best as he'll ever be. And you're able to trade that for two other young cheap guys for, like I said, a rebuilding team that has cap issues. I think that's a very high risk, a low risk, high reward type of move because you're probably not going to keep small to long term anyway. And, you can kind of get two lottery tickets with these two. Did you see Schmoltz's jab too after when he finally got to Arizona? He basically no, no. said it it's nice knowing that you're in an organization that actually wants you. Oh, give me a break with that shit, dude. So I hate that line. So I don't know if it's that, but one other thing though with too with Strom, like like we've said, the only knock on has been his skating, but at the same time, like He's been in fucking Arizona, dude. Like, if there's a place where you should be able to crack the fucking lineup, it's there. Like, yeah. th- this year has been the first year they've actually kind of started doing something. But all the other years, it's been suck, suck, suck. Like, yeah. Th- so you figure you'd be able to make the jump. But speaking of suck, 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 <laughs> I now have to go to it because if this Strom kid's a bust, this is now going to the 2015 draft. And now I have to bring it up, even though I didn't want to fucking talk about it ever again. But now we have to. 2015 draft the boston bruins have picks 13 14 and 15 they try making a package to go after noah hannafin carolina doesn't bite we eat shit we get three picks back to back to back maybe sweeney was expecting them to take the pick like you know take the package didn't happen maybe we kind of got caught a little bit with our pants down is what it is 13th pick Jakob zaboro Suck. Still has not. Pl- I think he played one NHL game. 14, Jake DeBrusque. Yes. Great. Uh, I hope Jake stays here long term. Kid can play hockey. Pick 15, Zach Senishin, who they didn't even know. Like, they didn't even predict him till about midway through the second round, but we pick him at 15. Now, for example, because I, re- I remember the day it happened. Cam had gotten shots at the doctor's office. Redder was at a bachelor party that night. I mean, bachelorette <laughs> party. And legit, dude, I was talking with Mainzie with Texan. I'm like, here we go. We're going to pick Barzell, Connor, and I didn't know who the other one was going to be. We get none of them. None yep. of them. So let's go. So after Zach Senishin, who has still not played an NHL game, pick number 16, the New York Islanders. Huh, a guy who just won the Calder Cup, Matthew Barzell. Pick 17, Winnipeg Jets, Kyle Connor. Pick 18, Ottawa Senators, Thomas Shabbat. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding. Like, granted, right now we have the injury bug. So who's to say even if we pick those guys, they would (coughs) be playing or not due to injuries? Like, I get that part of it. But the only thing is that is, could you imagine what we would look like with those three guys on the team? Yeah. Like, even if we keep DeBrusque and we pick up Barzell and Shabbat, now you have McAvoy the year after next to Shabbat on the blue end. Like, we look like a fucking wagon, but we don't. And they're all on cheap entry-level deals still. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, this would be the year for next year that we'd have to start negotiating. Like, fuck, man. It, it still pisses me off. It's... Sorry. Dylan no, Strom. I mean... Dylan Strome brought me there. That's the reason why. That would be rough, especially three picks in a row, and then you pick your guys, and then the very next three picks are all better players. So that hurts. 
The other thing I want to comment on is, so Arizona at number three took Dylan Strom. He was taken behind Conor McDavid and Jack Eichel. Number four is Mitch Marner. You know what? And I think the huge part of that was size. Everyone said Mitch was going to be too small. Kid wasn't going to be able to play hockey. Wasn't going to be able to translate to be a Johnny Hockey or, you know, a Tyler Ennis or a Jack Skinner too little. Yeah. How's that look on you? Suck on that. The 2015 draft is actually turning out to be pretty good. Obviously, you have the top two, McDavid and Eichel. But just to compare, so you have Mitch Mourner at four. He's getting all the attention around the league the last year and a half. Probably helps that he's playing in Toronto. But you look at number 10, Nico Rantanen. Basically is performing at the same level as Mitch Mourner. And he's starting to get his props now. But I feel like if Nico Rantanen was in New York, he'd be the next superstar in the National Hockey League. You have DeBrusque at 14. Like you said, Barzal, Connor, Shabbat, 16, 17, 18. Even guys like Joel Erickson-Eck, Brock Bosser, Travis Konecki, uh, all, yeah. even Col- Nick Merkley. Colin all, White, Jake Rislavic. Like, are you fucking yep. kidding me, dude? Now, the, the Rangers didn't have a first-round pick that year. They used it, I think, in the Marty St. Louis trade, which I am not complaining about at all. We got to the cup. <clears throat> Either St. Louis, I forget who we traded for in 2015, but either way. The Rangers' first pick that year was at in the second round, number 41. We took Ryan Grope, who is basically struggling to make it in the AHL. In the second round, you had Travis Dermott taken at 34, proven to be a nice little top four or five defenseman in Toronto. Carolina took Sebastian Ojo at 35. The Bruins took Brandon Carlo at 37. Uh, just going down in the second round, like Jordan Greenway, who, that big boy out in Minnesota, uh, was taken in the second round. So that draft has turned out to be not as top-heavy as people thought it was. Um, it's just, like you said, if the Rangers had those three picks and ended up with those three guys, even though DeBrusque has turned out to be like a solid player, that would crush me. Yeah, dude, you, you went one for three. Like, And I get it, but at the same time, like you said, we picked Carlo and Lozon in the second round. They're both playing. Zaboral is not. Yeah, like it, it it says it all, and whether it's scouting or, I don't know, maybe Don just thinks certain guys are gonna understand the next step better. Like I don't know, I just know that that fucking crushes me still to this day. That we went one for three. We could have went three for three. Some, um, some more credit though. You said he only played one game. He's played two. He's played two games. Uh, okay, <laughs> but the, so he got drafted, and then that year. They basically kicked him out of St. John because he sucked so bad, and they sent him back to the fucking Czech League, and then they had to talk him into coming back over to play in Providence. Like, th- he couldn't even play junior. Couldn't yeah. even play fucking junior. His current NHL stat line, two games played, no goals, no assists, no penalty minutes. He is held off the score sheet. Well, you brought up Miko Rantanen. I just want to say one thing real quick. Uh, the line mates of McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen are the first trio to collect at least 100 points through the first 24 games played since Daniel Alfredson, Danny Heatley, and Jason Spezza in 05-06. Wow. Throwback to that line, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like That's history for the... Recently too. It wasn't history for the day. It was just, just a stat. That's all. That was a good stat. Um, so before I 
fucking go off the rails big time here. L- let's talk about another guy who was a Bruin that um is no longer <laughs> weird. We traded him away too. Uh, Tyler Sagan. Well, I mean, he's a young kid in the city. That's that's another thing. I believe that was actually our my first two five and ten blog years ago. But um, <laughs> Tyler Sagan in Montreal, I believe, in warm up, sees this girl in the front row drooling over him, and he comes over and he checks the boards and dumps her beer right over the fucking dasher. A plus. I thought it was hysterical. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts on that one? I mean, it, <clears throat> for me, it only works if he was actually interested and then he somehow sends a free beer down her way as like, I bought you a drink and then sends a note with that beer. Like, wait for me here. Like, after the game or like, something. Dude, there's no you know question I mean? he did. There's no question he did. Rail there. Like account, <laughs> put 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 that one on the kill list. He took People care of business. The great White North, huh? Oh my God, they, they love puck up there. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I I'm actually happy that her and her friends had the reaction that they did instead of being like actually pissed off about it. They're like, "Did you get that on camera? Like he knocked over my beer? Like what the hell? Like they had fun with it. Obviously, it's because it's they're probably interested in Tyler Sagan, but. I mean, if you're Tyler Sagan, aren't you living a life right now? He's still, what, like 25, 26, getting paid a shit ton of money, goes around no matter what rink he goes to. Tax-free in Tax-free in Texas. At least a few girls that would, like, hook up with him. Just living a dream. Young, millionaire, professional hockey player. Tough being him. Um, Going from young millionaire hockey players to the federal hockey league in the news this week. So the Carolina Thunderbirds decided that they are going to open the rest of their regular season home games with a shootout. So before they drop the puck and they play the first period, they're doing a shootout. The owner said part of this was he wanted fans in their seat at the start time of the game. A, it screams publicity stunt. There's no question about it. Their seats. We'll do it in that league. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's probably 12 people there. Like, but the only other thing for me is he wanted the like. I don't get why you want the outcome of the game already settled before the game starts. He was saying that the three on three with it happening is causing fans to lose interest because they're not seeing the shootout. So he basically just wants to shoot out there every time so the fans get their money's worth. Their money's... Oh God. Like, if there was actually a PA or whatever it is in this league, there's no fucking way this happens. Like, th- we're not doing a publicity stunt. We play hockey. This is what happens. If it's tied, we go to overtime, and then after overtime, we do a shootout. We do not start a game with a shootout. Like, really? So, I'm confused by this. So, it's before the first period starts, and then they're going to have a shootout every home game with the other team like it would if it was at the end of overtime. Correct. So regardless and, of, so say if in the third period your team won 5-2, to two, you already did a shootout before the game. And whoever wins the shootout automatically wins the game no matter what happens in the following three periods in overtime? No, so if it went through the overtime, the it's already 
Oh, I yeah, gotcha. So who already won the shootout before won the game. Uh, my question is, is this owner an actual hockey guy? Like, who pays money to see a shootout instead of the three periods and plus a three-on-three overtime, which in the National Hockey League, ever since they switched to three-on-three, I was skeptical at first because I didn't want the league to turn into, like, a gimmick even more since they added the shootout with three-on-three. But that's one of the most exciting parts of a game when you get to overtime and it's three-on-three. It's like pond hockey. And as a hockey fan, I enjoy that. So for me to be like, well, I didn't get to see a skills competition, a.k.a. the shootout, that game sucked. It wasn't worth my money. I don't know if that's the case. Well, the only other thing is, as a hockey player, you're going there and you're doing your shootout moves, like something that could win you a game for free. Like, I don't want to be a guy. I come down, I shoot glove side every time, and now because I have to take a fucking shootout before every game, now everyone knows I'm going glove every side. Like, I just think that you're kind of giving away the farm a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, it's the FHL. I guess whatever he thinks is going to help their business. I just don't quite get it. If I was playing on the Carolina team, I would be pissed in that locker room. I'd be like, Are we, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, is this amateur shit? Dude, he's, they're probably making 200 bucks a week, these fucking guys. Yeah. Do you want to hear the quote? This is the quote. As a hockey guy, I am not big on shootouts, but it's part of today's game, and the fans seem to like it. With the advent of three-on-three hockey, shootouts are becoming a very rare event, and for those fans that like it, this is a way to satisfy them. And there are fans that like fights and only come to the games for fights, so we're going to have a line brawl before the puck drop. Hey, sign me up. That, that That's the league I want to play in, where we're having the line brawl before the game. The Tortorella League. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. I was just like, that's fucking incredible. I just had to bring that up today. Yeah, I I think that's bullshit. That probably won't last the rest of the season, or if it does, it won't come back the following year. Players will actually probably avoid playing for that team. Yeah, I just, it was just impressive to me. Like, they're doing, what? Um, you go. I had a little bit of a rant to go on here. It didn't happen this past week. Uh, it happened a week prior, both of these instances. But I was at <clears throat> the Sharks game recently where Evander Kane once again proved to be a selfish player with This has happened at least 12 times this season with Evander Kane on the Sharks. He's a talented guy. He's not a dirty player. He's a good teammate. But he takes these ill-advised penalties. This more specific case I'm talking about here is he took a penalty, yelled at the ref on the way to the bench, to the penalty box, got another minor assessed on us. Now San Jose, who was already down by a goal, had to kill off a double minor late in the third. He gets out of the penalty box, the Sharks are still down a goal. He just killed off a four-minute power play. He gets out of the box. He doesn't go to the pinch. He goes into the corner and proceeds to slash the guy on the back of his leg right in front of the ref and gets another two-minute. So basically six straight minutes of penalties that the Sharks had to kill off. The other team, I think, I think it was Vegas, scores on a power play, ices the game, game over. 
And that's not the first time that Evander Kane, even just in San Jose, has done something like that. And I'm sitting there watching the game like, what is going through your head to sit there and go, okay, I can understand the first penalty, it's bad timing. Then the ref doesn't just issue you an unsportsmanlike. They give you a warning in the National Hockey League. Like, you've heard the mic to up clips where they like they warn a guy, like, shut it down, or you're going to get another one, shut it down. And he kept going anyway. So that was another selfish one because he was that offended by the initial penalty call. But then to see your team, who's down by a goal, kill off that four-minute, which is a momentum swing, possibly allowing you guys to come back and tie it up, to go right into the corner and take another two-minute selfish, unnecessary penalty. Like, if... Dude, I lost my shit on that. And I was, like, sitting in the stands going, he would be benched next game if I was the coach. And I know he's talented in that, but if you were on the bench or in a locker room for the Sharks, what would your opinion be after seeing that, like, demonstration? It's crazy because this has kind of been this kid's reputation throughout his whole time in the NHL where he has crazy talent, the kid can play, but he kind of goes off the deep end with shit like that. So I'm with you. like, And they just gave him a big extension too. Like at what point are you just kind of like, I don't know if I want this guy in the locker room. That's why they shipped him out of Winnipeg. They said Bufflin was going to kill him. They said the, the day when he got benched, Bufflin took his fucking clothes, threw him in the shower, Oh, the, that's what it was. It was um, as a team, they had all mutually agreed that they would wear shirt and tie to the rink for morning skate. And he showed up in a track suit. He said he came off for morning skate and his fucking clothes were in the shower soaked. So the the trainers had to give him like an extra pair of sweatpants or something just to get back to the room. Yeah. So, so it just seems like a guy. Yeah. He, he just constantly goes against whether it's power struggle or whatever it is you know sometimes people are misunderstood ben it's this kind of world it's millennials come on well then he also has the off eyes stuff i think twice now where he was accused of like assaulting somebody or assaulting a woman and i don't think anything has come of it but where there's smoke there's fire and and And, he's in that bay area so yeah i agree (laughs) was that good i mean that that was pretty good pretty good uh, hashtag too soon. <laughs> um, my other rant was David Krejci, who I never really had a problem with when I was in Boston, uh, seeing him up close, except that time we decided in the Canadians doesn't carry price lot to drop the gloves with Benny Puglia and get his ass handed to him. But last week, the Bruins are down a goal. I think they're playing Toronto or Tampa. I'm not sure you can correct me since you're the Bruins fan here. Empty net. Puck comes out of his own. The other team starts skating in for an empty net, and he just stops skating back on a back check. Like, you never know what can happen. He could slip the puck and hop over a stick. He can miss the net, something. He didn't even try. Like, as soon as the guy blew past him at the blue line, he just basically stopped moving his feet and let the guy come in uncontested for the game-clinching goal. And I know 99% of the time that puck is going to go into the net. But for some reason, the fact that he stopped skating just in case pissed me off well maybe it was the hockey gods no one you were upset with them but uh <laughs> the past two games back to back uh they were playing the islanders thursday and then detroit last night he gets steamrolled clean hockey hits right through him open ice buried the one thursday night knocks his teeth out johnny boychuk who's now on oh, the islanders bad. is picking his teeth off the ice giving him to del negro 
And then, uh, no, Donnie, that's his name. I'm not, no, 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 not that kind of Donnie Del Negro. He's been our trainer for years. No, no, no. And then, uh, Luke Witkowski blasts him in open ice last night. The issue I have is, all right, it, it comes back to it again. Is it the NHL or is it the injury trouble that the Bruins are in? I'm with you in the sense of old school hockey. Keep your head up or you're going to get blown up. Both of these hits are clean, open ice. There's no response. No one goes over, no 2-5 and 10, no fight, no nothing. Play continues. Both nights. New NHL, Bruins with all the injuries don't have people in the lineup because, I mean, Char is out. Now Kevin Miller's out another five weeks. Like, is it that or is it just new NHL? Or Because usually anytime someone gets blown up, there's a fucking... Someone's grabbing somebody, but nothing, no response at all. Yeah, even if it's a clean legal hit, there's always a response for the most part, unless you play on the Rangers under AB. So yeah, it's it's surprising to see Krejci get blown up like that and not really much a response from the Bruins, especially with the kind of like the team identity that the Bruins have for like the last decade under the Char leadership. So that is surprising. Yeah, it, it's it's gone. Um. All right, so transitioning into, once again, game of the week, lock of the week picks. Uh, last week, lock of the week, I picked San Jose over the Ottawa Senators. Eric Carlson's return to Ottawa. San Jose had been struggling. I figured there was going to be a little extra juice for the Sharks in that game. They lost 6-4 to Ottawa. I am 0-5, lock of the week picks. At this point, I'm betting like Pete Rose against myself whenever I make a pick. <laughs> um, you are on a two-game winning streak. Uh, you pick Columbus over Detroit. Columbus won 7-5, so you got a little positive streak going there. Uh, just to help you out, even though it's hurting me, I will go first once again since you've been 2-0 and going second. No, no, no. Hold on. I, I, I got I to gotta help out your mojo here. If I ruin oh. mine, it's all right. Game of the week, Buffalo Sabres have finally lost. Uh, overtime loss, though. I think this game is huge for them because it's against a very good opponent, and this can kind of either get them back on the wagon or it could start that skid. So for that, I have tomorrow night, Monday, December 3rd, Buffalo at Nashville. I think that's going to be a huge game for them. Uh, my lock of the week also that same night, Tampa Bay at New Jersey. No questions asked. Jersey's in the fucking dumpster, and Tampa is going to ragdoll them. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to take the uh, KC route here and look for uh, the easiest pick to get off to Schneid. I'm going to go Thursday, December 6th, Nashville on a road against Vancouver. Vancouver has completely fallen off a cliff ever since their hot start. Nashville is the best team in the West. If Nashville loses on a road against Vancouver, I will retire from life. Just letting everybody know. Uh, my game of the week pick is on, yes, it's Saturday, December 8th. The Colorado Avalanche on a road against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Get to see Kucherov, Stamkos, Braden Point, Tyler Johnson, Hedman, all those guys take on the infamous line of led by Miko Rantanen's year this year. So we'll see how Colorado stacks up playing out East against one of the better, more more talented teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. 
Uh, so that's my game, game of the week pick. Do we have some lovely days for history and hockey? We do. Uh, I know this is going against the grain a little bit, but I would be remiss not to reference that on November 30th, 2005, the Boston Bruins traded Joe Thornton to the San Jose Sharks from Marco Sturm, Wayne Primo, and Brad Stewart. Hold on, hold on. It's uh, December 2nd. We only do it on the day we're recording, so, <laughs> so we're going to have to edit that out. But yeah, December 2nd, Sunday. <laughs> um. Hold on one second. Uh, yeah, so today, December 2nd, this day in NHL history, in 1909, the National Hockey Association, the NHA, which is the predecessor of the National Hockey League, is formed in Montreal. The charter members include the Montreal Wanderers, the Renfro Creamery Kings, and the Montreal Canadiens. I'm a little upset. I think we need some Renfro Creamberry Kings back. <laughs> Expansion. Uh, Expansion. Once again, just league-related on this day, December 2nd, 1969, the NHL Board of Governors announced that in New York that expansion franchises have been awarded to Buffalo and Vancouver, who become the 13th and 14th members of the league, and they begin play in 1970-71. And lastly, in 1995, the Detroit Red Wings matched the most goals ever scored against the Canadians when they score 11 at the Forum in Montreal. Slava Kozlov scores four, Sergei Fedorov has a goal and four assists, and Igor Lariano finishes with a goal and three assists. Canadians goaltender Patrick Wall allows nine goals before being lifted midway through the second. Four days later, he's traded to the Colorado Avalanche, setting multiple franchises on different directions. That was the time where he got pulled, and then he ran over to the older, right? Told Moslin, he's like, trade me. I'm never playing fucking guys again, trade me, and he walked. Back for and then four days later, he's a member of the action next year. They win a cup. That that one still might sting a little bit for certain people. Uh, you got any uh, shout outs this week or what? We'll get it going with a shout out real quick. Uh, Mr. Nick Lorenza every week always giving me a nice uh text to the show, likes what he's hearing, whether it's good or bad. Always giving me recommendations. We appreciate it. Uh, Maine's man, the same thing. Uh, I would send it off to my co-host here, but he has just lost power, so this is just me wrapping it up for the rest of this week. But uh, as always, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate the input. Um, Yeah, we're hoping to get some guests on the show soon enough. We'll set up some interviews. Um, like to get some feedback, too, if you guys want time-wise whether this is just good enough you want a little bit longer a little bit shorter i mean we try to stay around the hour mark but that's up to you guys we can always expand cut it up whatever you guys want but uh you know i'm gonna try to uh make ben a little bit more happier he's probably not hearing this right now because he got no power but uh everybody thank you be safe we'll catch you next week my wish this year is for ben to keep his power on out in san francisco Peace. Last Christmas I-